Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Faith will keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dreams. All right, amen. What a way to start the service with uh, with once the organ just being turned wide open at the fingers of Miss Linda and to the glory of God. So I'm great. I'm grateful that you're here. Look, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and uh, and share the love with one another. Um, with a handshake and a hug. So if you all will stand, we will have a, a, a welcome chorus. The, the, the praise band is coming, and they're going to be singing for us, uh, Emmanuel. So let's walk around this morning and welcome each other to church. so much. You may have a seat. Um, let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to bless our service today. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord has, has brought you to this church today uh, to worship him. And so let's, let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, we are grateful as uh, we bow our heads and we enter into your presence. Father, we're grateful uh, for who you are. We're grateful for all that you've done. God, we're thankful for the word. We're thankful for the fellowship of believers. We're thankful for salvation that came through Jesus Christ the Son of God. Father, as this time of the year, we are heightened with the awareness of the virtues, the Christian virtues of hope and peace and joy and love. Uh, Father, as we even set aside a portion of our service to, uh, to light candles, um, Father, we're, we're thankful that you have given us these, uh, these, these uh, virtues, We've, that you've given us the, the capacity that despite the world's circumstances, despite the news headlines, Father, you've given these things to us in Christ. And so, Father, as we worship him today, Father, may the Spirit among us bless our worship. Father, may our gift of worship be pleasing in your sight today. Father, we now pray all of this in Jesus' name. And amen. 
singing the hymns of Christmas. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is our opening hymn. Let's stand together as we sing.
Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony of the power of light over darkness. As we light this second candle of Advent, we continue our journey to Christmas. The second candle of Advent is called the Peace Candle. As we anticipate Christmas, let us remember the birth of the Prince of Peace. Let us remember our need for a Savior to save us from our sins and to give us peace with God. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And again in John 14 verse 27, we read these words of our Lord. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now as we light the second candle of Advent, let us remember Christ's birth. Commemorate his death and resurrection and anticipate his glorious return. May God grant us his perfect peace. could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see brought every tribe and nation to their knees arriving with the host of heaven in royal robe and crown the rulers of the earth all bowing down But you chose meekness over majesty Wrapped your power and humanity
cradle From cradle to the cross Let heaven and nature sing This is our King But the grave couldn't hold him Our God is overcome Let heaven and nature sing This is our King From heaven to the cradle From cradle to the cross Let heaven and nature sing This is our King But the grave couldn't hold Him Our God has overcome Let heaven and nature sing This is our King song but what a what a wonderful presentation of the gospel just a beautiful song chuck well done uh, the, sharing your gift to the glory of god as always and and um I, you know just a just a beautiful song in general um so this morning i, I wanted to carve out just a little bit uh, time to speak to our lottie moon emphasis uh, on missions and and to read uh, just a pastor scripture from luke chapter two um to to the point of the, the king on the manger throne, uh, there, was, there was a movement that started uh, at, across the world at that time in history. Uh, it was called the gospel. The kingdom of Christ had come. And, um, and as Jesus was incarnated and uh, lived and died and rose again and ascended to power, he left all authority on hev- in heaven and on earth. Um, and he gave that to the church to proclaim the gospel until he returns again. And uh, there's so many examples in Christian history of, of men and women who have taken that gospel from the manger and have carried it to the other, other most parts of the world. Um, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is designated to that mission of taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Um, every dollar that's given to the, uh, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to international missions. Um, Lottie Moon, uh, being the woman that she was, and her love for the gospel, took it to China, uh, where she gave her life in, in selfless devotion to that gospel message, um, and, and, and did everything in her power uh, to make sure that everyone she came in contact knew that babe in a manger. 
And so as we emphasize here at our church and even set a goal of $7,500, the goal is is inconsequential to the fact that the money that is is used goes to advance the gospel. Um, And so in your bulletin, you'll see this morning an envelope that can designate a a gift to the the Lottie Moon offering. It will will easily designate that money to that, that offering. Um, probably the easiest way to do uh, to, 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 to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, so if, you, uh, if the Lord lays it upon your heart to do that, then, then give to that mission, designate it in an envelope, and we will send that off to the International Mission Board, and the Lord will do what he will do with it. Um, now, as we, as we kind of pivot back to Luke 2 this morning, um, I, I want to... This, this is probably one of the most classic... Um, descriptions or depictions of what happened uh, the night that Christ was born. Um, Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14 uh, tell us the story of, uh, of not just shepherds but of, uh, of an angelic proclamation, uh, God's gift of peace to mankind. Um, it was coming through Christ and Luke beautifully captures this event in his second chapter, verses 8 through 14, as we read, it says, Now there were in the same shep- in the same country rather, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the lo- Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen, church. May the word of God be read in the house of God this morning. Our offertory hymn is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Let's sing together, and it is hymn number 187. Let's stand, and we'll sing all the verses.
standing as Timnit leads us in our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come here today and worship you. We thank you so much for this Christmas season, Lord, and what it means to us and, and our hope and our joy in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Thank you for this music. We just thank you for Richard and his leadership. Father, I just pray for uh, Brother Ben as he gives us your word, Lord, and I pray that as we leave here today that we would be a bold witness for you out in the world, Lord, and, and uh, just pray for our country and our leaders, Lord, during this time. Father, we just pray that you bless this uh, tithe and offerings, uh, that, that they may glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. What a beautiful gift to the Lord this morning through our worship, through the music. Thank you, Brother Richard, the musicians, and, um, and for you all, for singing your voices. You're carrying that to the glory of God as a gift of worship. I thank you for all that. It was beautiful. Um, so let's transition this morning to the Word. Judges chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 22 uh, through 24. It seem like, may seem like uh, an interesting destination for Christmas sermon, but uh, as we approach the second candle of Advent, being the candle of peace, there is a passage of, uh, of Scripture in Judges chapter 6 concerning Gideon that is very relevant to the Prince of Peace this morning. And so that's where we're going to be at this morning, uh, Judges chapter 6, uh, verses 22 and 20. Uh, 22, 23, and 24. Now, before we get into the scripture, I need to give you a little context, a little, I need to preface it anyway with a little bit of understanding about what's happening in chapter 6 of the book of Judges before we can actually jump into the text. Now, as, as we said this week is the candle of peace, the, 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 the idea, the concept, the theme is peace. But before we even understand the Prince of Peace and, uh, if you will, the, the candle of peace, we have to understand how peace came into the world through Jesus Christ. Now, through Christ, the, 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 the peace that we have from God, as Brother Tim mentioned a second ago, is different from a worldly peace, to be sure. The peace that the world offers is different than the peace that God offers. And we have to make that distinction because the, the peace that come into the world through Christ came in two parts. First, through his birth and death on the cross. Jesus brought peace between God and man. Because of sin, there is hostility between God and man. And until that's reconciled, there is no peace in the heart. There is no peace to be had. Uh, worldly peace cannot fill that void. And so through the birth and through the death of Christ, there is peace in the heart of men. Secondly, through the return of Christ, peace will be actualized upon the earth once again. Uh, when Christ returns to the world, there will be peace upon earth that will come through conquest. And this kind of peace has not been known to the world since Genesis chapter 3. Now additionally, another thing to, to know about peace, and we kind of touched on this last week, peace does not come easily. Often peace comes through conflict. Uh, this is true anyway, about the nature of peace. That peace is not normally established or actualized in the hearts of men, for example, until Jesus first had to go to, to the cross and go to war against sin. 
It came through much conflict and much violence to the body of Christ before peace could be actualized in the hearts of men. For peace to be actualized in the world when Christ returns, Jesus will first have to annihilate the enemies of God upon the earth. And so conflict will preface the peace that we find on the earth. Now as our world seeks for peace in their hearts and in the world, our text today with Gideon shows us some practical things about the peace of God that came through Christ. In Judges chapter 6, if you want to go back and you want to follow along just briefly, in verse 1 we find a man named Gideon who is, uh, is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, many of you may read that and say, okay, whoop-de-doo, so what? What does that mean? Well, the ancient art of threshing wheat involved wind. And as you beat the stalks of wheat against something, the seeds would fall and the chaff would blow away, right? Wind was a necessary element. Well, a wine press is in the ground. It's underground. It's something that you dump wine into and then you mash it with a big stone. And so out of fear for the Midianites, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Until we find the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, comes to him and extols him as a mighty man of valor. A man who, for all practical purposes, was hiding in fear. This angel of the Lord extols him as a mighty man of valor. And in response, Gideon does what most people would do if Christ appeared to them. He would complain about their present situation. That's what Gideon does. Gideon says, if I'm a mighty man of valor, then why are all these things happening to your people? Why are all the Midianites oppressing your people, etc., etc.? And so the Lord ignores this complaint and rather commissions Gideon to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. And so for a second time, Gideon responds with a second complaint and says, I'm not your guy. I'm the smallest in my family. And oh, by the way, my family is from the weakest tribe in all of Israel. I'm not your guy. You've got the wrong person. And so the Lord again ignores Gideon's complaint and instead gives him orders. This is what you are to do. Be of good cheer. I am with you and I will deliver you to, or the, rather the Midianites, into your hands. And so Gideon, for the third time, does what most people would do. He asks God for a sign. Amen. How many of us have prayed for that burning bush? We've prayed for the Lord. Oh, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do. This is what you're asking me to do. Then give me a sign so that I might know this is what you want me to do. Never mind the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and told him these things. Gideon asks for a sign. And then he does what most good Southern Baptists would do. He goes off and he makes a meal. Praise the Lord. He goes inside and he makes this unleavened bread and he gets this meat and he puts it in broth and all these other things. And he brings it out to the angel of the Lord to feed him. And in turn, the angel of the Lord tells him to take the meat and the bread, put it on a rock, and therefore proceeds to incinerate that gift with the end of his staff and then disappears, which we find ourselves now at verse 22. So let's stand together and let's read God's word together. 
Scripture says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. In Hebrew, that is Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Let's pray. Father, we great, we're grateful that for this text this morning. For, Father, for the, for the truth that is contained therein. Father, in light of the peace that passes all understanding, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself. Father, as we read this scripture, we do so in his grace. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So Gideon concludes to this whole ordeal that he has seen the angel of the Lord face to face and that the orders, that the commission, that that the instructions themselves, even the title that God gave to him of a mighty man of valor is all legitimate. It's all valid. It's It's all consequential. And so he begins to offer a worship to God as Jehovah Shalom. Now, that Shalom in Hebrew means peace. Now, to the point that we spoke to just a minute ago, it's not a worldly peace, okay? We have to make this distinction. Worldly peace is temporary. Worldly peace is not lasting. It's not, it's not fulfilling. It's not gratifying. It's not enough. The peace that the world seeks is a peace without war, a peace without disease, a, a, a peace without conflict between people, a, a peace without hate, all those kinds of things. Whereas the peace that God gives, we've already established, comes in the hearts of men. It will be fully and finally actualized in the return of Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This shalom, this greeting that the Hebrews would greet each other with, shalom, was the peace of God. It was the peace of God that passed understanding, that that went beyond just this worldly peace. It was an awareness to the presence of God in their lives. And that's why Gideon responds in the way that he does. I have seen the Lord face to face. I have entertained the presence of the Most High. I have peace in my heart. So in your outline this morning, I've broken this sermon into two parts. Now, many of you looked at that outline this morning and said, Praise the Lord, it's going to be a short sermon today. We shall see. I don't know. It's, it's a really simple concept, though. And I really didn't want to overcomplicate it. Because the peace that, that God gives to us in, in, a, in a reflective way, in a, in a personal way, really comes down to these first two points. Empty heart, fearful heart. And that's what Gideon shows us. That a heart that is filled with fear is empty a peace. Amen? A heart that is filled with fear is empty of peace. Gideon's story, and the truth of it anyway, is that he and his people had been tormented by the Midianites for decades. They were afraid. In, in Gideon's case, he was afraid that if they saw him threshing wheat, that they would steal it. They were afraid. He was afraid. He was filled with fear at what they might do to him if they saw him doing that. This is a deep level of fear. 
This is a debilitating level of fear. It affects the way he's living his life. And I think in a practical way, we can appreciate that. This is a fear that runs so deep that rather than responding to the Lord in the right way, Gideon is full of excuses. Gideon offers those to God. And he even makes requests of God to confirm the validity of the requests. And this is true for fear in every single case. A heart that is filled with fear will be quick to give God excuses for what he is asking of them. It's also true that we'll want God to prove to us whatever it is that he's asking us to do in order to alleviate the fear. I think we can all appreciate that, right? I think we've all been somewhere at some place at some time where fear has, has been the presentation or at least the temptation. And, and rather than embracing the peace of God, we, we give in to the fear and we say, okay, God, if this is true, if this is what you want me to walk through, then show me something. Help me understand. Help me see your will here. And so we ask God for requests. We ask him for that metaphorical burning bush. Show me a sign. And by the way, this isn't the only time Gideon asks for a sign. Amen? He's susceptible to fear. His, fe- his, his fe- weakness is fear. And he has to know that the Lord is with him in order to be filled with peace. Fear is debilitating. It literally shuts down our faith. It hinders us in our capacity to believe God. It closes us off to belief and trust. It robs us of the peace that comes from confidence in God. Consequently, if fear fills our hearts, peace is absent from our lives. And so the very thing that we seek, the very thing that our hearts want more than anything, can't find a place in our hearts. It can't find space in our hearts because our hearts are filled with fear. And so the peace that God would have us to have has no space. The peace that comes from having faith in God's promises is the very thing that is forfeit because we're blinded by our fear. And this is true in every single case. Because our eyes are too busy taking in what is going on around us, we're slow to avert them upward to the place from whence cometh our hope. And so the peace that we so desire, the peace that we seek, is absent. Now no, this morning, this is not God's will for the Christian The Christian, the the believer this morning, it is not God's will for our lives that we be filled with fear. He did not have us to have a heart of fear this morning. God would have us to be motivated by faith rather than fear. But oftentimes we get motivated by the fear of the things that are going on around us and we get blinded by that. But God would not have us to be overcome by these hypotheticals. That fear would throw our way. Because that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road oftentimes. Is that we're afraid of what might happen. And so we never follow through on the will of God in our lives. God, I, 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 don't, I don't know. You, you may have the wrong person. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said that. 
Um, I, 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 I contemplated it when I came here, but you all hired me anyway. Amen. Now, to the glory of God, because God knows. I, I don't. You don't. We're just both prayerful. This thing all works out. Amen. But, but in the meantime, there is a tendency, a temptation to allow fear to fill that void, to fill our hearts, and, and, and to really present to us hypotheticals. And then we begin to be afraid of not what is, but what if. And that's debilitating. That's where your life is interrupted by fear. When God says, have peace. Positional peace in me. Because God's will for us is that we trust him. Now, we flip the coin over and we look at it from the alternative. A heart that is filled with peace is empty of fear. It just goes without saying, amen? I mean, if the heart is filled with fear, then it's empty of peace. Naturally, if the heart is filled with peace, there's no room for fear. And, and I think this is where the Christian life should excel. It's where we should exceed the boundaries of our own logic often. Because the heart that is filled, that is rather too full of peace, is not going to have any room for fear to invade it. This is what God desired of Gideon even. This is what God... When, God didn't come to him and say, Hey, Gideon, if you're up for this, I've got, a, I've got an offer or a suggestion for you. No, the Lord, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Oh, mighty man of valor, stand up and prepare yourself for duty. I mean, that's really what the commission was. That's what the call was. And that's what God desired for Gideon. And God even tried several times to give Gideon peace, but Gideon was having none of it. God assured him, Gideon, that he was with him. How many times are we quick to forget that in our, in our, in our moments of, of, of fear or temptation to fear, that we forget that God's with us? The commission, the great commission, the very last things that the Lord said before he ascended. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The Spirit of God fills the world to the glory of God, and it fills the lives of believers And so if he's present, he's always with us. Secondly, God called Gideon this title, this mighty man of valor. It wasn't speaking to who Gideon presently was. It was speaking to who God knew him to be. Okay? You see, God's sovereign over Gideon's life. God's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He knows in that moment when he called and commissioned Gideon what Gideon is going to do three months later. He knew. And so he was calling Gideon out, not by what he was doing in fear in the wine press, but by what he was doing when he was picking out his 300. And he was defeating the Midianites. Thirdly, God told Gideon that he was called. This is meaningful for ministry. If we believe that God has called us, then we believe that God has equipped us. And if God has called us and equipped us, then, child, we are favored by the king. Consider that this morning. No matter what your calling is, 
No matter what your ministry is, no matter what you're being called to do, God has both equipped you and he has found favor on you to do something for him. There's a lot of peace in that situation. I don't know how many times I've had to remind myself that I'm called to do this. I've tried to run away from it. I don't say try to run away from it. I, I've tried to, you know, say, look, I'm done. I'm, this is it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I just will do this and I'll do this. And then God calls me right back to it because I'm called to do it. And if I know that I'm called to do it, then he's going to equip me to do whatever it is I'm called to do. I don't know what that means in its fullness, but I don't wring my hands over it. I just find peace in God that whatever the time comes, whatever the situation is, he'll provide for me when I get there. That's okay with me. I don't have to have a 10-step a plan or a 10-year program or anything like that. I have peace that God will provide what he needs when we need it. Period. Now, that may, from your pastor, it may give you anxiety. I don't know. But, folks, this is how we're doing it. I'm, and I don't, I don't know more than that. I know it worked out for Gideon. If it worked out for Gideon, I'm not Gideon. I'm just being. If it worked out for him, I know that it'll work out for me. I trust that. Because fourthly, God assured Gideon that with God's help, Gideon would do the impossible. And that was defeat the Midianites. God had already told him, look, I've called you, I've commissioned you, and I'm going to deliver them with my help. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. You're not, look, don't miss the, the language there. He's not telling Gideon that Gideon, if, as long as you're clever enough, and as long as you got the right the strategy, and, and you got the right ideas, and you got the right heart and motivation, then you're going to defeat the Midianites. No, he says, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. The language matters. And if we can appreciate that in our own ministries or in our own lives, in our own experiences, then we can have full assurance that no matter how many times God asks us to do something, that our fears are just irrational. I mean, what else did God have to do to convince Gideon that all was well? And how, why did it take so long? You know, that kind of thing. I mean... It wasn't until the meat and the bread was incinerated by the end of the staff that Gideon said, Oh, okay, this is cool. I perceive that I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. No, that's because his fears, hear me, were irrational. They were not logical. And they stole the peace of God that God intended for Gideon. It does the same thing to us. Because if God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen, church? Do you believe that this morning? If God is for you, then who can be against you? What do you have to fear? If God has called us, then who do we have to fear? And if God has given us the victory, then why do so many Christians just waller in defeat? Why do we do that? Why do we enjoy snatching victory from the hands of defeat? That is not Christian. Christian says, I have already given you the victory. You are already more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus, your Lord. You don't have to do anything. The work's already been done. 
All you have to do is abide in that peace. You see, peace and fear cannot exist in the exact same place at the exact same time. It's akin to light and darkness. You mentioned that earlier in the song. Light and darkness can't inhabit the same place at the same time. Neither can fear and peace. They're opposites. They're enemies of one another. The one seeks to undo the other, to replace the other. In either way, one will reign supreme in the heart. The choice is which. Secondly, and this is the point to Gideon's proclamation of the Lord is our peace. Last week out of Isaiah chapter 9, we looked at one of the titles for Christ, which was Prince of Peace. Because as the Prince of Peace, Jesus is our peace. Right? And how is Jesus our peace? Well, the first point to this is that Jesus' presence in our lives gives us peace. Verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You see, the presence of the Lord in Gideon's life gave him peace. Jesus' presence, not only for Gideon, but for us, Especially in Gideon's case, though, for he, he, momentarily at least, forgot about the Midianites. And it caused Gideon to believe the words of God. In fact, Jesus' presence filled Gideon's heart with peace. And Jesus does the same thing in our world today. The presence of Jesus in a life gives us the Prince of Peace, because a life that is lived without Jesus is a life left fighting their own battles. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many people I've met who are trying to fight life's battles without Christ in their life, without a heart filled with peace. And I'm going to tell you, life's battles are overwhelming, and they're not meant to be fought alone. That's why there's a body of Christ. That's why we have one another. It's because your battles that you're fighting, whether they are private or personal or public, whatever they are, they're not meant to be fought alone. Christ has given you his presence, he's given you himself, and he's given you the body of Christ to which you belong. A life that's lived without Jesus is a life fearing every single thing that either is happening or that could happen. And, and that's people, and that, that the tendency there is to chase news headlines. It's to chase every single event that happens in the world to, and, and trace it all the way back to fear. Because without any support, the truth is, we're all vulnerable and we're cut off. But with the presence of Christ in our life, the victory is already ours. A life that's lived without Jesus is a life that's empty of power and peace. Because no one is designed to take on the things that come our way in this world. Gideon couldn't, couldn't have possibly done what he did without the presence and the power and the peace of God in his life. But a life that is lived with Jesus shares those burdens with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come unto me, all you that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. A life that has lived with Jesus is a life that doesn't fear every single thing that befalls man. John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. A life that has lived with Jesus is a life that is filled with power and peace. 1 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, the presence of Christ in our lives gives us peace. Jesus's, secondly, Jesus' work on the cross gives us peace. You see, all this is possible because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we've discussed this before. But this morning when we read the angel's proclamation of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, they were proclaiming an ancient plan that God had established years before through the covenants and through the prophets. God had a plan from the very beginning of the incarnation. He had a plan specifically to establish peace in the hearts of man and peace upon the earth. Now, in the meantime, as the peace of God fills our hearts, we are to fill the world with the peace of God. But until that time is actualized and Christ returns, we are the only peace the world will ever see through Christ. God's plan is fully and finally to bring peace to the hearts where where, where hostility once existed. And without the atoning work of Christ, all humanity could expect is what Hebrews says, a fearful expectation of judgment. You see, all we have without Christ, without the work of Christ evident in our life, is just a fearful expectation of judgment. We, we have no other course than to wring our hands knowing that one day we will stand before the Lord in judgment. But with Christ... With Christ in our lives and the work of Christ that he accomplished on our behalf. Where that fearful expectation of judgment once existed, now we have peace. In fact, our peace is typically turned to joy and expectation of the hope that we will finally see him face to face. Just as Gideon did. That, we will, we will see, that our faith will become our sight. And that we will be able to see our Lord as He is. But all of it's only possible through the plan and the work of Christ. So, as long as we must wait for the returns, for the return of Christ, the words of our Lord are peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. And no matter what the world may throw at us. Scripture says we are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that no matter what befalls us in this world, that no height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's our reality. That's our beautiful understanding through the work of Christ. And then thirdly, Jesus' future return gives us peace. See, you thought this sermon was going to be short. Shame on y'all. 
We are on our last point, though. I, I promise you, you'll have time to go home and eat lunch and get a nap before you have to come back up here and watch a movie. The return of Christ, it can't be understated as the most significant event yet to come for all of humanity. Not, not just for us, but for all of humanity. This is what awaits. And ultimately, while we wait, we wait not in fear. We do not succumb to the temptation that the world would have us sitting back on our hands and, 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 and fearing that somehow God has been dethroned. That somehow the, the politicians have taken over and have taken God's will and just throw it into the ground and they're winning this battle. No, we have hope and we have peace that God is sovereign, that he is established on his throne forevermore and that his plan is yet unfinished. That's the beautiful hope that we have in the return of Christ. And the peace that we have in the meantime, it may pass understanding, folks. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that your logic shouldn't tell you that things are wrong. That bad things are happening. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. But what I will tell you is that despite those things, peace should reign in your heart. That that's where the Christian life is settled. Not in our headlines, but in Christ. Because we know how it all works out in the end. And consequently, we can have confidence that the Lord will, re, will emerge victorious. And that along with his victory, we will share in that same victory. Because we know how it all ends. We can be equipped with every good gift from above and do whatever it is the Lord has called us to do. It begins by presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, Romans 12. That's the least we can do. And if that's the most we can do, then we will find peace filling our hearts because we know to whom we belong. And we don't fear man. We don't fear headlines. We don't fear diagnoses. We can have peace that can pass all of those things because it's all rooted in the future return of Christ. In the words of Gideon, they're rooted in Jehovah Shalom. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. Father, as our brother Gideon has, has shown to us the, uh, the example of, of the combat, really given to us an image of the, of the war for the heart between fear and peace. But Father, in this time of year, Christmas, that we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, we're reminded of the Christian virtue of peace. Father, we're reminded that, that Christ is our peace, that without him there is no victory, there is no salvation, there is no hope. But because of him, we have a settled confidence we have assurance. We have peace. Father, we thank you for the fulfillment of the covenants that you made with our predecessors. And we thank you for the fulfillment of the words of the prophets. And Father, we know that there is yet more to come. So Father, in the meantime, may we serve you well. May we, may we have all confidence and assurance. But Father, may we rest judiciously 
and your peace. Father, as this altar is now opened, may it be done so in accordance to your will. We pray this in Christ's name. And amen. And when all your dreams have fallen.